What's the strangest thing that you've ever eaten? <laughs> There's some knowing laughs around. Some people think, oh, you know, jacket potato with a particular <laughs> topping, maybe. And that's fine. Um, for me, the strangest thing I've ever eaten is, uh, it'll come up in a second, uh, it's our chicken feet, um, which got a, a very sort of react a reaction down here, Ooh, reaction elsewhere, hmm, you know. What we eat and what we consider to be like, oh, this is a delicacy, this is not nice, oh, that seems strange, that's very cultural. Like, it's very related to uh, the tables that we've sat at, the meals that we've had. I realise that I'm... Do you mind, Lorraine, this is in the way, I can't really see you, but I'm just... Yeah, well, you're the lucky one. Um, sort of spy through the holes. Um, but it, it's, it, there are lots of strange things that we could end up eating, aren't there? That might seem strange to us, but they're very normal to other people. I must confess, I did not go back for a second helping of the chicken feet. Uh, I didn't particularly enjoy them, um, but I did have some kind of like wild, crazy flu at the time. Um, so that may well have uh, influenced me and maybe I will uh, endeavor to do that. Fried ants, okay, there you go. Um, Bake Off fans, there was someone who used crickets this week in their bake, which you know I've never um, tasted that myself, but some, some people seem quite interested. But there are, you know, we can try these different things in different cultures. And that's, you know, as I've said before, that's part of the fun of the, the international celebration, the multicultural celebration that we do um, at least once a year. Uh, we get to try different things. We get to eat different things. Have you ever been, I'm sure, you know, most of us have, have you ever been somewhere where at the table it's got your, like a little, you, you know where you're sitting because your name is there. You've got your little place card. Yeah, I, I can remember, uh, they're not here this morning, uh, Greg and Ann Beza, when we went to their wedding uh, reception, the meal at the end, I went and we sat down at our table and two people didn't turn up. Um, they're like, their place, their names were there, the little card was there to say, this is your seat, but they never showed up um, for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure why. Um, but what it meant was, like their little party favours things were up for grabs um, <laughs> in my eyes. And, that, and as you know, I think, I'm not sure if this is still a trend. When Megan and I got married, it was a similar time to around when Greg and Ann got married. Um, and you like put little sweets on the table. So rather than the, the candied almonds or what sugared almonds or whatever they're called, that sort of went out of vogue. Um, and it was sweets were the thing. And we had like little jelly beans. And Greg and Ann had refreshers, you know, the sort of slightly fizzy things. And all I remember from their, their wedding reception is that I ate three people, four people's worth of refreshers. And then after I'd sort of drunk the toast, my stomach was so painful because it was all just fizzing inside. Um, I thought I was going to explode. Um, but it was strange. Their, their names were there. There was a space for them, but they didn't show up. They didn't get to eat. They didn't get to enjoy the banquet. And what Benny prayed at the end of what she said at the end, it was so important. And what's the, the, you know, the tagline for this series? Everyone's welcome at God's table. There are place names waiting for people to come and take their seat at the table. And they're just sitting there. Those chairs are vacant. 
everyone is invited. Every one. And I kind of want to press that little one part into us a a bit this morning. I think over the last few weeks, we've perhaps talked about, and we we will talk a little bit about this morning, about big groups. There's people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language. It's broad. It's very broad. But it also every one, every individual, there's an invitation individually. There's a place for you at the table. This is kind of a verse that will come up repeatedly, uh, Luke 13, 29. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline or take their place at the table in the kingdom of God. There's a place for you at the table in the kingdom of God. And maybe you've experienced like rejection in your life, perhaps because of your race or because of how you look or your, your accent, the way you speak. Perhaps because of your social status, you're not, you know, you're either seen as, oh, you're, I can't associate with you, you're not one of us. Perhaps because of a disability, you've got, there's something that's not, you know, you're less able in some capacity, whether that's, you know, academically or physically. Maybe you've experienced rejection. Maybe it was in your past and actually, you know, it doesn't sting anymore. It's not as painful as it was you've never quite got over it. It's, it's still there. It's like a dull ache rather than a, a, a sort of fresh sting. But it still hurts. Maybe you're experiencing feelings of rejection right now. You came this morning and you thought, maybe I won't come. But you did. Or maybe you're online and you thought, I can't face being there in person. But I could click online. Maybe you're feeling that rejection right now and it's, it's fresh and it's painful. Maybe it's not to do with church. Maybe it's to do with, you know, in a social setting. Maybe at work you said something and people have put you to the side. Maybe you made a mistake and people are rejecting you for it. If that is you this morning, the Father wants you to know you have a place at the table. You're invited to come and sit down to sit next to your brothers and sisters. You are welcomed and invited to come and sit and eat. And later on, we will take communion together. We will walk to the table. We will go to the table and eat together. There is a place card with your name on it. I tried to find out what the name for those little cards are. Place card is the only thing I could find. There is a place card with your name on it. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts 10. The verses will come up on the screen. I'm going to read it out. We're going to read the whole of chapter 10. So um, strap in. It's 48 verses. Acts 10, if you haven't got there yet, it will, should come up on the screen. Uh, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of uh, what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, so just before we go anywhere else, we need to know this, if you haven't picked up the clues there, 
Cornelius, Centurion, Italian cohort, this guy is not Jewish, okay? Uh, but he feared God and prayed continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God. Uh, come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And, and the angel said to him, your prayers and arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called, this is Cornelius, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw heaven, the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Just be encouraged here. Two things I want to sort of just mention. One, a trance. That sounds quite weird, doesn't it? You might have a weird experience in your prayer time. We should not be shocked by these things or put out by them. You might experience the presence of God in an unusual way. And also, if you don't get it first time, God is gracious. Peter had to hear the message three times before he understood. Even then he didn't understand. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Peter does not get it quickly, does he? We should be encouraged by this. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, 
your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth. We need to understand just what's happening here. This is like... Uh, Philip went down to the Ethiopian eunuch, didn't he? But this is, this is a moment where the gospel goes from the Jewish nation to the Gentiles. I don't know everyone's ethnic background here. Broadly speaking, I'm looking out, most of us, if not everyone in this room, is a Gentile. This is a, this is a big moment for us. We wouldn't be here without this moment. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to, pe to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. There's lots we can learn from this, but broadly speaking, this is a this is a watershed moment. This is an amazing moment. It's a moment that was so important. I mean, if reading that story, you think, I wish God would speak to me like that sometimes. Give me a vision that just keeps repeating until I sort of oh, I've seen it three times, but I still don't understand. Then someone else has got a vision that explains it and they send some people to my house and then, I'm, I'm, Lord, I, I still don't know what's going on. There's a knock on the door. The Holy Spirit says to you, those people that are at the door, that's what the vision's about. Get it through your head. Okay, I'll go and do whatever they ask me to do. Okay, what are you here for? And they tell you. You know, wouldn't it be nice for some of the stuff, God, what, you know, what job do you want me to do? Imagine someone knocked on your door and God said, the person that's at the door, they are going to tell you what job they, you're supposed to do. Avon sales, you know, that's, you know. 
some people get that joke. Um, but imagine that, that would be so helpful, wouldn't it, sometimes? Peter, he had to get this. He had to get it. When he goes to Cornelius' house, he says a few different things. There's, there's a few things that happen which I think we can learn from. As he gets there, Cornelius meets him and falls down at his feet. And Peter could have gone, I see, you, I see you've heard of me. <laughs> yes, it's me, Simon, who's known as Peter, who was staying in Simon's house. It gets confusing. There's a lot of Simons, you know. Peter is here. You can relax now. No need to panic. I'm here. We can, there's a temptation, isn't there, to feel when someone, someone values you being there. Oh, I, like that. I like being recognised. I like that bit of status. But Peter, I'm just a man. I'm a human being. What are you watching me for? Let me tell you. Let me direct your gaze. Point you to the one. Something to learn there from Peter. Something to learn from Cornelius. Actually, this is a guy, he's a centurion. That means he's in charge of other soldiers. He's, set, he's, got, he's got people. He's got people. Now, do you have people? I don't have any people. I mean, I've got my family. But I haven't, like, my children aren't sort of, of the age yet where I can go, go to the shop and get me something. Now, Cornelius has got people. Go and fetch me this man. You know, that'd be probably a bit nicer than that. But he, he's got, he's in charge, he's got status. He's got, you know, a home that people can gather in. And yet when Peter comes, he falls on his knees. He's humble before him. He directs his worship incorrectly towards Peter. But he's humble before him. You, you've got something that I want. You know something that I don't. Let me learn from you. to recognise God's bigger picture. That's what Peter did eventually. He, he sort of, eventually he got it, didn't he? He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. It was wrong for him to go there. He says, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean to be responsive to God's bigger picture. Obviously, there's, you know, the Holy Spirit was directing Peter very clearly. We need to be able to do that as well. Just, oh God, hang on, God, what are you trying to do here? Because it could have been, you know, Peter could have gone, I've had this vision, uh, you know, these things, okay, I can, I can eat wherever I want now. Okay, great. Bring me a prawn cocktail. You know, that, that could have been his takeaway from it. But he actually, he listened to what God was saying. He responded to it. He got the bigger picture. Actually, this isn't just about what I can and can't eat. This is about who God is extending the gospel towards. I think it's interesting. There's a, God shows no partiality. But then there's a bit later on where he talks about when God raised Jesus from the dead, that, Jesus appeared not to everyone, but to those whom God had chosen. 
And I think there's, there's something for us to sort of wrestle with in some ways there. Does God have favourites? God drew us. God is drawing many people. Here are my three children. Pick your favourite. <laughs> That's a good reaction. Who's your favourite? Is it Lara, the shy, quiet one who says crazy stuff? Is it Millie, the more outgoing one who says crazy stuff? Or is it Joseph who just roars? <laughs> I couldn't pick a favourite child. Yeah, you'll be probably pleased to hear. Um, but sometimes one of them needs more attention. Needs, I need to spend some time with this child. And I, I want to do that. I try to find different things, you know. I, try and spend time with Millie doing this and because uh, she's interested in that and Lara's got this other interest so I, I want to sort of try and give some time and attention to that and Joseph he's got one interest dinosaurs so <laughs> okay I'll do some dinosaurs with you you know they require different levels of attention at different points in time now being sort of candid Millie is the easiest to spend time with she's the oldest She's got the most sort of interesting interests, uh, if I can put it like that. This week, uh, she watched the Bake Off with us after the others had gone to sleep. Um, we watch it on a Wednesday. Uh, normally, we all watch it together a bit earlier because it's the Halloween one. The other two weren't interested. Um, so once Lara and Joseph had fallen asleep, or Lara particularly, Millie came downstairs and watched the Bake Off. And I said to Megan, this is it. This is the end of our evenings together. Um, <laughs> She's, but that's, because it's easy for us to fall into favoritism. God, favorites is the wrong word, but he does have those upon whom for a moment or for a lifetime his favor rests upon them. Luke 2, uh, when it's talking about um, you know, Jesus is coming and his angels appear. It says this, a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Or in the NIV, upon whom his favor rests. If your favor rests on someone, you could say they are your favorite. Because your favor rests upon them. So I think favorites is the wrong word, but God's favor does rest upon people. I think as human beings, we tend to show favoritism when someone is particularly appealing or they have something that, you know, we see as valuable. We give, you know, attention in special sort of focus for the wrong reasons sometimes. God exercises his favor and his attention to individuals because of grace. It's not to do with anything that we've done. There's no merit to it. It's because in his sovereignty, he's extended his grace to certain people and in certain ways to certain people. Sometimes we can look and think, wish God's grace would be on me like that. 
actually he's extended his grace to us in different ways. And, you know, it's right for us to do that as well, to, you know, at particular times. If one of my children was having trouble at school, I would want to, you know, I'm going to spend a bit more time talking to them about you know, what's going on, how can we fix it, is there anything, you know, do you, do you need anything from us, all those sorts of things. Same way, this is a church, you know, not everyone's here, but some people at different times need special focus or attention. And it's easy, you know, if, often from Andy and I or from someone who's in a pastoral position and other people can look and go, well, why, why are you spending time with them? What about me? No, that's, yeah, that's, it's a difficult thing. Actually, we need to try and sort of spread ourselves around and that's why we say it's, we all need to be a body ministry, you know, a body that's looking after itself. But God, in his sovereignty, chooses to extend his grace, to extend special attention to individuals as he wants. Think about how you got saved. Think of all the little things that add up that when someone says to you, could you share your testimony? They say, don't talk about, you know, Auntie Ethel's cat that got poorly and the vet happened to you know, live next door and was a, you know, don't talk about these little details that actually, you know, they're not important to anyone else really, except for you. But those are little moments of attention, special focus that God, oh, I know this is going to be helpful. This is going to be helpful. I'll just flick that, just turn that up a little bit, put that person there. As you're walking along the street, you'll find this bit of paper on the floor that's, you know, got something scribbled on it that's significant to you. I don't know, it's a lottery numbers you used to play. It, it means nothing to anyone else, but it's, it, for you it's significant. Because God extended, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as you got saved, as you were coming on that sort of journey towards that moment of commitment to him, there was special attention exerted towards you. Do you understand that? Sometimes we can feel like outsiders. Cornelius, all the people that were gathered there, you know, Peter. Imagine, you know, we invited a guest speaker. We had Tom, Tom Head with us last week. Imagine he'd got up and he'd said, I shouldn't be here. You, you know I shouldn't be associating with you. You know, we would have all felt great, wouldn't we? This is Peter, this is the start of his, his talk to them. You know it's unlawful for me to be here and spend time with you. I shouldn't even be in your house. That's a good start to a sermon, isn't it? But he says, but now I see that God is drawing you. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, and if you're in an explore group, you'll look a little bit at this, or you'll look at this in the week. He goes on to talk about the dividing wall being destroyed in Ephesians 2. I'll just... Uh, read that out. There's a picture there. It's the Berlin Wall coming down. Paul says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, that's all of us, if you're Jewish by heritage, I apologise, for the ease I'm referring to everyone here as Gentile. That at one time all you Gentiles in the flesh 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, uh, in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants, uh, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, us who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's Ephesians 2, 11 to 18. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Peter preaches the sermon. He says, you know about Jesus. And this is, let me just fill in the blanks for you. And what happens in the passage that we read? The Holy Spirit falls the holy spirit fell on all who heard the word and they began speaking in tongues and extolling god and it was like a confirmation they recognized it's almost you know got to be careful with your terminology it's almost like a sort of a second wave of pentecost like a mini like it, it echoed what happened. What happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the company of believers and they start speaking in different languages? What happened there? This is what's happening here. I mean, God made this really clear, didn't he? What happened to us, the Jews say, is happening to them. They're, they're in. God's removed the wall of hostility. And this is like the old order was broken down. When they used to go to the temple, Andy, back in COVID days, did a good talk on the temple and how it was all set up and stuff. One of the sections, it was like, you know, the outer courtyard or, you know, like the, the worst bit of the temple. If you weren't a Jew, you could sort of hang around in that area. And then there was like walls and gates and you weren't allowed to go in beyond that. It was like, if you wanted to, if you sort of thought, oh, you know, I really love God, I want to follow this thing, the best you could do was to hang around in this sort of outer courtyard. You weren't ever getting inside. There was a wall, literally a wall, blocking you. Paul says the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in Christ. To experience the presence of God... You had to go into the inner, inner section. And then it was very rare that that even happened. Now, the presence of God is fallen on Gentiles as Peter's preaching. The old order was broken down. The dividing wall was broken down. Nations could live in peace. The Jewish people and Gentiles could live in peace 
not because one of them had been conquered. You know, that's normally what happens when there's peace. You know, I don't know, you know, I'm not a sort of a geopolitical expert, but I imagine if Russia had steamrolled over Ukraine, they would have, you know, taken over the country and then have gone, hey, there's peace now because we've conquered them and they can't fight back, so there's peace. That's what happens, isn't it? Generally speaking, when two nations are at war and then there's, there's peace because one has been conquered. Sometimes a ceasefire is brokered, but this is not like that. This is not the Jews have conquered the Gentiles and so there's peace, and it's not that the Gentiles conquered the Jews and so there's peace, and it's not a ceasefire. The thing that caused the hostility, the, the thing that brought division has been destroyed at the cross. Not tunnelled under, not built over, not a little hole poked through, but destroyed. How did that happen? Christ did it at the cross. The cross is not just, you know, this nice thing with a bit of material hanging on it. This is a symbol of torture. The idea of being crucified was to show this person, this thing, this person is no longer a human being. They're a piece of garbage, rubbish, just, just only fit to be mocked and just put outside. So, when you read about the crucifixion, they were outside the city walls. They were far away. They were up on the hill to be made a spectacle of, but also to be shown they're no longer part of society. It was meant to be like a degrading thing. Often, you know, you see pictures of, you know, Jesus on the cross or whatever. He's got his little loincloth on. He wouldn't have had a little loincloth on. He would have been naked and they'd have been mocking him. He'd been completely exposed, completely laid bare to be mocked and made to feel less than human. The Son of God made to feel less than human. Outside, his own people, the people that he came to, to bless and to lead and to save, rejected him. His exclusion equals our inclusion. He was put outside and rejected in order that we might be welcomed in and accepted. This morning, there's an opportunity to move from rejection to acceptance. Sorry? No. <laughs> there's an opportunity to move from rejection to acceptance, even if you forget to do something for your brother. <laughs> do you know that you have a place at the table? Have you sat down? Do you know the love and acceptance of God? Do you know that you are welcomed in? Even if you've got, you know, if you've got sin in your life, and you're welcomed in. It's, the, it's one of the sort of the most bizarre things in Christianity, I think, is when you know you've sinned, 
and you think, oh God, how can I be acceptable to you? And you repent of something and God welcomes you back in. You know, I was talking to someone this week and saying, you know, they were telling me about something that sort of had happened. And I said, are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time praying? You know, one of the most common things I, I, when I talk to people, and they were, they did a good job. Um, it's, oh, I'm struggling with this sin. I've dealt with this issue, whatever. And I just, I don't feel I can approach God, so I'm not reading my Bible for a week. You know, I'm not going to pray for it. I think, good grief. That's the worst thing you can do. You're accepted. You're welcomed in. Hey, you've repented. You've turned away. What's the least effective thing you can do is probably to not read your Bible because you're going to be in a weaker position. Dive in more. Spend more time praying. Be strengthened. Don't think, oh, God, you know, God wouldn't want to look on me now. He's chosen to look on you. And when he looks on you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You're completely acceptable to him. Do you know that you're welcomed in? You know, God is drawing others. God is drawing others and inviting others to their seats. And you get to be an interesting detail in their story. Today is a day to move from rejection to acceptance. 